We're in a series I call Moses, the man of God, and today's message is right. Doesn't mean easy. Exodus 5.1, afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I shall obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Uh, Moses was the first in scripture to carry the title, the man of God. We've seen Moses attempt to lead Israel end in failure. And then God came back to him 40 years later in that famous burning bush experience. And after dealing then uh, with calling Moses, he would send him back to Pharaoh. But there were some family matters that we saw Moses deal with last week. But now Moses is gone. He stood before the children of Israel and exactly as God had promised, they had listened to him. In spite of his difficulty in speaking, whatever it was that was wrong, the children of Israel heard him and responded to him. Now we are going to see him before Pharaoh. And where the children of Israel, the elders of Israel, had listened to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh was going to be a whole different story. And God had told them that too. Back in chapter 4 and verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. There is an inescapable conclusion to be made from this. Sometimes God sends people to do things knowing that it's not going to work. He may burden us to talk to somebody who won't listen. He may send me to preach to someone who won't listen. He may send you to visit someone who isn't receptive. But just because they don't listen or that they're not receptive or that they're not ready, it doesn't mean that the talk or the sermon or the visit isn't important or that the methodology is somehow flawed. We just have to learn that in God's work, being right, being right and doing right, doesn't always mean that the work God sends us to do is going to be easy. It also tells us that the effectiveness of delivering God's, tr- God's truth is not determined by the response of the people. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 6, Then Moses and Aaron did so. Just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old. When they spoke to Pharaoh, they did just what God told them to do. Now, God has promised that his word would not return unto him void. So the faithful proclamation of God's truth is always at work. And people are going to respond and go in one of two different ways. They will either embrace God as their deliverer or they will face God 
as their destroyer. They will either receive God as their justifier or they will stand before God as their judge. There's really no other alternative. Well, Brother Rich, I'd just as soon stay neutral. Sorry. It's one way or the other. When we go as God sends us then and we don't see somebody turn to God in repentance and faith, it doesn't mean that we failed. Noah, remember, preached for all of those many years without a single convert outside of his own family. But Noah was not a failure. You see, God did not assign us a task of seeing to it that people would accept his word. God assigns us a task of seeing to it that people get his word. Our text then today will put on display the responses, though, that are, uh, we see in the text. And they play out very simply. We see, of course, the response of Pharaoh. We'll see the response then of the Hebrew people and the response of Moses. I hope you understand this was a big deal. Forty years in the making, you might say. Eighty years in the making. Four hundred years in the making. From eternity in the making. This was a big deal. God has got Moses and Aaron before Pharaoh to deliver his message. Before the Hebrew people to deliver his message. How's it going to play out? We've already seen it. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? To let Israel go, I do not know the Lord nor will I let Israel go. Please notice that Pharaoh uh, called God by his name Jehovah twice in this passage. The Lord in all uh, capital letters like that in the Old Testament is the word Jehovah. It is the name that God had just revealed to Moses, and we'll see more about that in a few moments. We can only imagine the scene as this shepherd Moses and his Slave brother Aaron come before the mighty and glorious Pharaoh. It's far more than a king, not just a governmental leader. Pharaoh was worshipped as divine and was considered to be an intercessor for the people between them and all of the other deities that they worshipped. Pharaoh himself was a god. Did Pharaoh believe it? He most certainly did. He most certainly did. Throughout history, we've seen as emperors were declared to be divine, probably the two most famous ones that we would be familiar with outside of this one would be, of course, uh, the Romans when they began to declare that Caesar, Caesar was divine and worship him as a god. And the Japanese and their Shintoism and how Shintoism and they, how they declared their emperor to be God. And we saw how those things worked out. Generations of Hebrews have lived and died under this Egyptian religious system. They have served at the whim of their so-called gods, Pharaoh, the most visible one. We need to understand this morning, we're not watching a a battle of political ideologies. This was a battle between the Lord God of Israel, whose name they now know as Jehovah, and the gods of Egypt principal one of which was Pharaoh himself. 
The idols of the Egyptian were visible. But the God of the Hebrews was not. Interestingly, these idols and false gods would soon show themselves able to produce miracles. We'll see that next week as the miracle story begins to play out. But for today, we'll consider this in a more theological manner because, you see, God's dealings with Pharaoh are mentioned in the New Testament in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 to show how that God did the same thing to Israel that he was doing to Pharaoh. How that Pharaoh then was a foreshadowing of what was going to happen with Israel and how that Pharaoh responded to Moses, their deliverer was really going to be just a picture of how Israel would one day respond to their Messiah. Romans 9, 10, 11. Don't have time to preach all of that this morning. I don't. But I hope I can give you a taste for it. We know that God hardened Pharaoh's heart because the Bible repeatedly said he did. When God sent Moses to Pharaoh, God said it in its future. He said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. But what we need to understand, and we see it from the get-go, from the very moment that Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh declaring the word of God, Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. It was hardened to everything that was being said to him. Now, there's no doubt that Pharaoh didn't do anything that surprised God. Pharaoh didn't think of doing anything that surprised God. Pharaoh didn't say anything that surprised God. But it does leave us with a question, and it's a question that's tossed around over and over again in our day. Did Pharaoh harden his heart because God had hardened it? Or did God harden Pharaoh's heart further because Pharaoh had already hardened his heart? And I think we see very clearly in the passage that Pharaoh's heart was already hardened here. And God tells us what's going on. In Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16, But indeed, God said, For this person I have purpose, I have raised you up, that's Pharaoh, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth, as yet you exalt yourself against my people, and that you will not let them go. God had raised Pharaoh up. God had singled him out. And his purpose was that he might declare his name, Jehovah. Remember, he had just revealed that name to Moses. Now he's revealed it to Pharaoh. And so God has hardened Pharaoh's heart. Uh, Pharaoh had hardened his own heart first. You see, Pharaoh's lost. Pharaoh believed in false gods. (laughs) He believed he was a god. That's about as false a god as it gets. He believed he was divine. Pharaoh was not saved. Pharaoh was headed to hell. What had happened to Pharaoh is spelled out for us in Romans chapter 1. 
When they knew God, God said they did not glorify him, God, neither did they exalt him as God, but they made themselves of, of, of no, uh, they emptied themselves of any common sense. And as a result, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into images made like unto four-footed beasts and creeping things, and in Pharaoh's case, even he himself, because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Romans chapter 1 is played out already in Pharaoh. His heart was steeped in idolatry. It was steeped in his own divinity and was already hardened in its rejection of God's truth. But God certainly hardened his heart more and more. And Pharaoh hardened his own heart again and again and again. When you think then of how prideful Pharaoh was, how stubborn he was, how he rejected incredible teaching, how he turned his nose up at the powerful miracles of God, as we'll see next week. When you see in his stubbornness how he brought judgment to the whole nation, it's no wonder that God would use Pharaoh as an example of Israel and how they reacted to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pharaoh's rejection gets worse. In verse 6 of chapter 5, So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Now, much of the Egyptian construction process used hewn stones, but they also built using mud bricks, a process that to this day continues to be used and uh, if you have children in the children's bulletin, I actually put a link for them. If you parents want to take your children and let them see how the Egyptians still today, after all these eons, make mud bricks the same way they did back in the days of Moses. They're made with mud, straw, and manure. Yeah, that's the truth. They learned from the Romans to burn them once, and so they burned them. Now that's really the only difference. Uh, between the process they use today and the process they used then. But a large amount of straw was required. So when Pharaoh told them, now you've got to gather straw and make the same quota of bricks, the task that he assigned to them was not difficult. It was impossible. The Hebrews would be worked to death under this system or merely beaten to death because they couldn't meet quota Pharaoh was furious in his response to the word of God and decided then to make the plight of the Hebrew people worse. Not only will I not let them go, I will work them to death. That's what you see in this passage. This was not a gradual thing. It wasn't like that he sat down with Moses and Aaron and over time, you know, Pharaoh just got more and more angry and more and more resistant. Now, that would play out, but that's not the way this narrative begins. You see, Pharaoh was right there from the moment that God sent his messengers to deliver his message. And Pharaoh's heart was hard. He rejected it. He rebelled against it. I don't know you. I don't know your God. And who is this Jehovah to think he can tell me what I'm going to do? That's Pharaoh. I'll show you. Let my people go. I'm not going to let them go. I'm going to work them to death. I'll show you and your God. What is this God of slaves? To me, that's what we're seeing play out with Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh had hardened his heart. And God was going to see to it that he kept doing it. He stands as an example in Proverbs 29 and 1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Many, many people through the years have tried to take God's dealings with Pharaoh and make it an example of how God deals with people for salvation. Uh, But I hope that you've understood this morning that that is not the subject. God sent his messenger with a message from him. And that message was, let my people go. And Pharaoh, who was already lost, already an idolater, already worshiping a false god, me, already convinced that he was a greater god than anything that the slave god could bring to him. Continued right on in his hardness and his rejection. But what he did is he refused to obey God. And he kept on. Proverbs 29 1 says, He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Without remedy. Remember that God didn't have to do anything for Pharaoh's heart to be hardened, it was already hard. But God kept Pharaoh's heart hard until it came down to the shedding of the blood of a spotless lamb. So that Pharaoh hardened his heart, God hardened his heart again and again and again and again until the blood of the lamb was shed. Do you understand why God used Pharaoh as an example? Why that he was a picture then of how Israel would harden their hearts against Jesus Christ, ignore miracle after miracle after miracle, hang on to their dead, faithless religion of works, reject the message over and over again. Until finally, their Messiah was crucified on a cross. But their Messiah didn't lose, did he? The purpose of God wasn't thwarted, was it? Oh, no. Oh, no. So we see then the response of Pharaoh. Then we see the response of the people. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, Make brick. And indeed your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, idle. Not too much time on your hands. Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore go now and work. For no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, You shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. People were already suffering under this terrible task. Now they're overwhelmed. Not only did God not set them free immediately, they were now deeper into forced labor than ever before, and their lives were in jeopardy. Now, we don't know how it came to be that the children of Israel went in. These leaders of of Israel went in to see Pharaoh. Uh, But we do know that Moses and Aaron were left outside. They didn't go into the meeting. 
And then as they came out from Pharaoh, that is the elder, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. So Moses and Aaron did not go in with the elders when they met with Pharaoh. They said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. The meeting, I think we could say, was a disaster, and the aftermath was worse. Pharaoh accused them of being lazy and repeated uh, the decree that they must make the same quota of bricks as before while gathering their own straw or die trying. And it didn't matter to Pharaoh which way that went. It was probably going to be the latter. The elders then came with great hostility to Moses and Aaron, giving them a simple message. This is all your fault. (laughs) This is all your fault. And Moses would respond to them by telling them of the things that God had promised, but but they wouldn't listen. Exodus 6 and 9 says, Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and, and, and cruel bondage. Anguish in their spirit spoke of their emotional state, how they were feeling. The cruel bondage spoke of their physical suffering, and the two almost always go together. It can be hard for us. To hear the voice of God, to hear the message of God, to respond to the message of God when our own emotions are conspiring with our sufferings. And sometimes those things produce a challenge to our faith. So after all this effort and all this work, Moses is sent to them. Initially, the children of Israel, the elders were listening. Pharaoh never did. And now their task is worse as they've been sentenced to to die by this slow, torturous, working themselves to death plan. The people were disappointed and angry. Nobody's listening to Moses and Aaron. (laughs) So what's Moses going to do? Isn't this a great passage, verse 22? So Moses returned to the Lord. Got to love Moses. What an example This man of faith set for us in this passage. I've done what you told me to do, God. I went to Pharaoh, and of course, Pharaoh didn't listen, and he was expecting that. But God had told him the people of Israel would. But now they're all up in the air again. Moses went to the Lord. He had three things on his mind. Lord, why have you brought trouble to this people? Why is it that you have sent me? I tried to talk you out of it, God. I told you I could do this. Now here, why have you sent me? Uh, Now, not only did you not deliver us from Pharaoh immediately, which could have happened, you do know God could have smote Pharaoh down dead in his tracks. And he deserved it for the way he talked to him and responded about him. Used his sacred covenant name in vain. God could have struck Pharaoh down on the spot. Sent an angel or two and brought the children of Israel out. That didn't happen. Didn't happen. Why is it you've sent me? Now things are worse and you've not delivered your people at all. Three things he brings to them. Now, the story of this interaction is considered twice in the text. If you take the time to read it, maybe sometime this afternoon. Uh, that's why in verse 12, Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh uh, uh, respond? Or how then shall Pharaoh hear? Uh, because I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. And he would say that again then, uh, twice, down in verse 30. Behold, I'm of uncircumcised lips. 
So Moses' lips, Moses is still feeling his weakness acutely. His worst fears have become reality. Uh, the, the mentioning of an uncircumcised lip would seem to me to indicate that Moses had trouble forming letters that required his, his mouth to form a, a circle like R, mm, R, R, or O, maybe. Uh, he's having a little trouble. But it could have just as easily been that he was like a teenage boy asking a girl out for a date for the first time. And all of a sudden he can't talk. You know, he just he stumbled over his words. He had it all rehearsed, knew what he's going to say, and then I, I don't know. We'll, we'll never know, although I, honest, I honestly think that Moses did have a literal speech impediment. God could have healed him of it. He didn't. Whatever it was, it bothered Moses, obviously, a lot more than it bothered God. Let's take a quick moment this morning to understand we've all got weaknesses, we've all got liabilities. Let's just all understand that whatever they are, they bother you and me a lot more than they bother God. God wasn't concerned about his liabilities. So Moses went to God. After Pharaoh had rejected his message and the people had rejected it, Moses went to God. We don't have time to consider everything that would play out in this message this morning, but I do want to put some things up for you to see. Uh, the Lord responded, chapter 6 and verse 1, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Uh, in, in my South Arkansas translation of that, God told him, just watch this. Yeah, watch, Just watch this. He'd say that to Moses a lot. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive him out of the land. Drive them out of the land. Listen, by the time I'm done with Pharaoh, Pharaoh is going to be running you out of the land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I am. I am. Remember, that's Jehovah. I am that I am. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. That's El Shaddai. El Shaddai. The mighty God. God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Remember, Moses, I appeared to Abraham, I appeared to Isaac, I appeared to Jacob, but I never told them the name that I've told you. Significant. God says, I am that I am. And God said, I've appeared. I have established my covenant. I've heard their groanings and I've remembered. So he talks a lot about what he had done. And so Moses, he says to him, I am that I am. Remember what I've done. And go to the people, and you tell them this. I am that I am. The I am has sent me. And look what else plays out. Verse 6. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptian. I am. Now I will. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then shall you know that I am the Lord. Third time, I am that I am. I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. 
I am the Lord four times. He said, I am that I am. Seven times. He said, I will. Did you get that? I have. I am. I will. I have done. I am. I will. You take that back to the people and preach it to them. <laughs> I could preach that today. Hey, I kind of am. That's, uh, <laughs> that's what Moses got. You know what? That's what we get to. Later in the meeting, God will say this. Chapter 7, verse 4. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians shall know I am that I am. Remember when Moses showed up before Pharaoh? What Pharaoh says, I don't know I am that I am. I don't know Jehovah. He's going to learn. He's going to, who is this God that I should, who is this Jehovah that I should obey him? idea Pharaoh was going to learn and all Egypt with him so what can we all make of this this morning so far we moved as we are from Moses and his story first of all we can learn today that one of the most dangerous things listen to me we're done we're almost done got four quick things one of the most dangerous things that anybody can do is say no to God and reject his message and reject the gospel and reject his messenger. God warned us that my spirit shall not always strive with man. And while the Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, we also know that men sometimes harden their hearts to God. And they never get over it. It's a sobering thing. You can say no to the gospel one too many times. And that might just be once. Most dangerous thing we can do is to say no to God. No to the gospel. Secondly, we can learn today that we can do God's work and do it well and not see the results that we like to see. Most of us know that lesson already. We may not see God at work the way that we expected. Sometimes God may send us to people, give us a burden to talk to somebody. We might get somebody on our heart, oh, I really need to talk to him. We may pray and pray and be completely convinced that this is exactly what God wants me to do. And that person may laugh in our face. When things don't go the way that we expect then, somebody will always be there to second guess us. The enemy always seems to make sure that there's plenty of those around. Plenty of folks to tell you, I I, I told you it wouldn't work. (laughs) I knew it wouldn't work. And if even nobody else tells us, our own heart is right there to tell us, ah, I knew it wouldn't work. It was useless. It wasn't going to work. They wouldn't listen. 
One of the biggest fears that we have when it comes to being a witness and sharing the gospel or inviting somebody to church or sharing our faith, one of the biggest reasons why we don't do that is we fear rejection. And we fear it for very good reason. We often are rejected. But remember, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting God. That's what's going on. People then struggled. They struggled to understand why that God would allow them to suffer under Pharaoh's hard-heartedness. Why they had to work and continue to work and do all the things. Why they had to be beaten. Why they had to suffer. When God could have immediately, immediately. Just made an end to Egypt and Pharaoh and all of his armies. They struggled trying to understand why it didn't happen. They thought they'd suffered enough. But God gave us enough information in this text that we could figure it out. You have to spring forward a few centuries and look outside of Jerusalem to that skull-shaped hill where men murdered their maker. Where the Jews had rejected Christ and They didn't just reject him, but with fury. They mocked him, scourged him. Pharaoh was just a picture of that. But the reality of it was going to play out. But you see, when we look back at the tragedy of that rejection... Somehow, it don't feel like a tragedy to us, does it? Why? Because out of that rejection then came the time when God turned to the Gentiles. That's us, by the way. And so that the gospel then began to spread around the world. And we're the recipients of that even today. A new covenant came in because the old one was obsolete. And all the blessings and privileges that are ours in this new covenant are ours because God's plan of redemption played out exactly as he had promised. The hardness and hard-heartedness of Israel, though tragic, did not thwart the purposes of God. Neither did Pharaoh's. In fact, they brought them about as God brought them out of Egypt under the blood of the Lamb. We're going to have some good preaching over the next few weeks if I'm up to it, folks. I'm not bragging ahead of time. I just know what these passages are. You've studied about them in vacation Bible school and Sunday school. And I hope you all know them, but some of you might not know them at all. So I'm preaching them just like you've never heard them before in your life as best I can. But I want us to see how this plays out and the great, great lessons that God teaches us in this. This morning, I ask you, have you responded to God? I ask you. How many services like this have you set through and gone out saying no to God or no to Jesus Christ? How many times have you rejected him? How many times have you rebelled against him? Hmm. 
I've told you before that as far as I can remember, I was saved the first time I ever got under conviction. But not many people had that testimony. A lot of you struggled with God. Aren't you glad that God was merciful? Some of you went for years thinking you were saved. You were lost as you could be. Aren't you glad God was merciful? Yeah. Oh, I plead with you today. With the message that is recorded for us in God's own holy word. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's stand together, please.